We, uh, we're in the middle of our sermon series uh, using kind of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Sermon series is called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And each week throughout the series, we're, we're looking at just a single verse, single passage of scripture, and some others that tie into it. Uh, but it's what Jesus gave us as the greatest commandment or, or the golden rule. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Two commands brought in to one. And so if you missed last week, we began at the end of that greatest commandment, talking about the importance of that as yourself clause. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because we said that you can only love someone to the extent that you love yourself. And vice versa, others can only love you to the extent that they love themselves. But here's the paradox of life. And and as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we hold this up as kind of the standard of living, that the paradox is that in order to fully and and perfectly love yourself, it means that you're going to have to go and love someone else. That in order to love yourself, you're going to have to go and give some of that love away to some other Folks, because, because you, you need more than what you have to offer yourself. You need more than what just you can offer for yourself. Now you can go and treat yourself all day long. You can go to the spa, you can have a feast, you can buy new gadgets, just go all out and treat yourself all day long. But I bet, I bet at the end of the day, you'll find, you'll find that you still don't really know what it is to love yourself. Because you've missed that key element of loving your neighbor as yourself that no matter how much you show your self-love, you still won't truly know what love is. And as long as life is all about you, you won't know what love is. And do you know why that is? We believe why that is, is because each and every one of us was divinely designed that way. The fundamental to our faith is the belief that God has made each and every one of us. That God has created us in love, by love, and for love. That God created you, made you, formed you in God's image. And that image is pure and simple love. Perfect love that we believe is shared between God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where there is almost no separation. There is no inequality, but there is only perfect love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that's whose image we are made in. And it means that's how we're to love. That's how we are to be. Perfect love with ourselves and with those around us. But if you're getting all bogged down and in all of that and you know the trinity just kind of makes you dizzy at time just come up for air for a minute okay uh, because let me just give you some real 
practical life advice. That even if you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, let, let me just let me tell you that you won't be happy until you start helping some other people. That you won't be happy yourself until you're helping someone else. And I mean, that's straight Bible stuff. I mean, that's all throughout the scriptures, but, but also there's pages and pages of research to go and back that up. That, that you won't be happy until you find yourself helping someone else. The people who find their life most, most fulfilling, who feel as if they're living life to the fullest, are not the ones who are out there filling themselves up. But the people who find life most fulfilling and who are living kind of that abundant life that, that we all want, the people who are finding that, well, they're the ones who are going out and helping and serving others. Jesus said it this way, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. If you try and seek to save your life and hoard all this stuff for yourself and preserve your own life, well, you're going to come that you have only lost your life. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, and what, what all that means is that you need to start finding a way to one anothering some others. That you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Start one anothering one another. But I have a confession to make. The further away my, my one another is that, that I'm supposed to love, the further away they are, sometimes it seems, the easier it is to love them. And, and I think that might be true for some of us here today as well, that, that we're, we're all a little farsighted when it comes to loving others, but we struggle with that nearsighted love. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's easier to love your, your long-distance neighbor than it is to love your neighbor who's across the street from you. And, and I would bet that I'm probably not alone on that. that. That even though we might not want to admit it, sometimes it's easier to love your neighbor who's across the globe than it is your neighbor who's right next door to you. I mean, those, we've seen those commercials that come on late night and it's Sarah McLaughlin singing in the background and I'm there just bawling, you know, dialing the numbers, trying to donate some money to a country that I've never even heard of before, but asked me to go and love my neighbor right next door to me. For some reason, that's a little bit harder. For some reason, even though they're right next door to me, it, it seems like it's more inconvenient. And I'm not discouraging us from, from serving globally and, and donating money across seas. And, you know, that, that, that's fine. That, that's good. But, but what if Jesus' command, that that greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, what if... What if we made it even more simple? Or, or what, if, what if he was serious about it? And, and what if we took it even literally when he says, love your neighbor? Yeah, that one right next door to you, to your right and to your left and across the street. What, what if we took Jesus 
that seriously, that, that literally love thy neighbor to your right and to your left. And, and maybe, maybe that was Jesus's mission and model for ministry the whole time, that, that as we love our neighbor, one neighbor at a time, one neighborhood at a time, one community at a time, one city at a time, then we would see the world transformed. I mean, after all, that's what Jesus told his first disciples to go and do. He sent them out two by twos in pairs to neighborhoods. And he said, if you find yourself there in a neighborhood and someone invites you in, well, go in, share a meal with them, sit down, stay the night, love on them, neighborhood by neighborhood. Jesus's mission is always an invitation. And so there's this saying, um, you remember the, if you, if you grew up in church, uh, Pretty much every church, I think, had it. This giant painting of Jesus in a white robe knocking on a door. You know, if you've seen that before, it was big in like the 50s and 60s. But there's a saying uh, that that's, you know, the door to your heart. And the, and the saying is that, you know, when you open up the door of your heart to Jesus, that means you also have to open up the door to everyone else that Jesus brings with him into your life. But if you're like me, and again, here's, here's why I'm, I'm preaching on it, because I got my own stuff to work through, and I need you to hold me accountable to this. But if you're like me, it's, it's easier to have that far-sighted love than it is to have that near-sighted love, the people that Jesus brings right before your eyes. It's easier to love your neighbor when you don't really have to know them when you don't really have to ever interact with them. And, and ironically, it's more convenient that way. And I've noticed this as well, that, that in my neighborhood, people come into the neighborhood, they, they pull in in their cars, they click the garage door open, they pull their car into the garage, they click the garage door closed, and that's it. And you never see each other. And the neighbors know which car belongs to which garage, but we don't really know which person belongs to what family. And so I think that in order for neighboring to actually have the potential to transform our our communities and our city and, and our world, I think it means that we first have to be willing to see and and to be seen by others maybe especially those who are in closest proximity to us. And so there's this beautiful story in the Gospel of Luke, and it's a story that's kind of just buried and embedded in in another story. Um, But it goes this way. Jesus was out walking through a neighborhood one day. And if you notice, that's kind of where Jesus spends most of his time was doing life and ministry in the neighborhood. Yeah, he'd stop at the temple every now and again and talk to religious leaders, but most of his time was spent with the families in neighborhoods, doing ministry there, sharing life there, loving them, healing them, feeding them. So one day Jesus is walking down the streets of one of these neighborhoods in Galilee and someone comes up to him and says, Jesus, I need your help. I, I've got a daughter, I've got a, I've got a little girl, and she's sick. Jesus, won't you come to my house? So here's how it says in, in Luke chapter 8. It says, now when Jesus returned, 
a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. And as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So many people had come to see Jesus. They were so excited to see him. And while Jesus is walking... While Jesus is walking to go and heal this little girl, someone else comes along and interrupts him. It says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but nobody could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. Peter, Jesus' bodyguard, says, Jesus, just just let it go. There's too many people to ever know who has come and touched you. There's probably dozens of people who have touched you. Just let it go. But Jesus says, No. Someone has touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. Jesus can't just let it go. And isn't it interesting that wherever Jesus was going seemed to never be as important as the people who were right in front of him. Wherever Jesus was going never seemed to be as important as who was, who was right in front of him. I mean, Jesus had somewhere to be. He had someone to go see. He had this little girl to go and heal, but he took the time to pause in this moment and ask who was around him that needed him in that moment. Wherever he was going was never as important as who was right in front of him. And maybe, maybe we've gotten that backwards for far too long that in our busy world and in our busy lives, maybe, maybe we've forgotten how important that simple lesson is that Jesus teaches us. That as important as it seems to, to where we're going, the people right in front of us are just as important. That they need you right now. Fred Rogers once said it uh, kind of this way. I love this quote. He said, The world needs a sense of worth, and it will achieve it only by its people feeling that they are worthwhile. The world needs a sense of worth, and it will achieve it only by its people feeling that they are worthwhile. Just let that one sit with you for a while. Because the question is are you available for interruptions? Are you available for interruptions? Are you available for interruptions so that someone can know that they are worth your while? Or are you going somewhere? So focused. Are, are, do you think it's, it's so important, the place that you're going, that you forget who's in right, right in front of you? I'll let you answer that one for yourself. But the story goes on, and it says, Then the woman, 
seeing that she could not go unnoticed. I love that. Seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And, and when I read that line, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, it's a story that I've heard before. I've read this scripture before, but but that line, the Holy Spirit just kind of lifted up and, and convicted my heart. And, and I started getting a little choked up over it. Just thinking that, that here's a woman who for the past 12 years has lived as if she was invisible. She had gone for the last 12 years unnoticed by everyone that was around her. She was in hiding because she had been considered unclean. Because of her health issues and and the bleeding that she experienced, she was a risk of defiling those who were around her because that was the customs and and the, the, the religious laws at the time. And so she had no other choice but to go in hiding and act as if she was invisible and to suffer in silence behind the scenes. She lived alone in this neighborhood, all because of something that was out of her control. She was the invisible woman, and she's there hiding in plain sight, unnoticed by everyone except for one person, Jesus. And what really got me is that I then began thinking, who's the invisible woman in my neighborhood? Who's, who's the invisible people in my own neighborhood? And I wonder, you know, that mom that I see driving a minivan, shuttling kids back and forth every day, I, I wonder if she feels a little invisible to anyone who's over the age of five. I think about the man across the street who spends all day taking care of his sick wife. And and I wonder if he feels a little invisible because nobody really understands what it's like to be a caretaker of someone who has dementia. I wonder about the dad who's divorced and trying to raise three kids on his own. Or the family that just put up a for sale sign in their house, not because they're moving, but because somebody lost a job. And now... They can't pay the mortgage, and they got to go. And, and I, wonder, I wonder how many of those people just maybe feel a little invisible, and I wouldn't even know it. And shouldn't our job, shouldn't our job as, as Christians, as, as followers of Jesus, shouldn't our job be to love people so that they cannot go unnoticed? Shouldn't we love people so that they cannot go unnoticed? Because love, love, as we talked about last week, love is that active pursuit of accepting someone just the way they are right now in the moment. And, and maybe, maybe there's that someone in your neighborhood 
that's just wanting to reach out, just, just wanting to reach out enough to touch the fringe of someone else, to brush up against someone else, to feel as if they are not alone, they are not invisible, but they have been noticed. What if you have someone like that living right next door to you? Are you available to be interrupted by them? And, and also, what if it's, what if it's you? What if it's you to, to reach out and, and just touch the robe, catch a glimpse of Jesus and the person that's sharing an elevator with you? Or, or the cashier? And, and it may not be much. You know, it may, it may not change the world, but, but maybe just the slightest touch. Maybe that's just what's needed. And here's the thing. I'm preaching to myself now. There's an infinite threshold between knowing the right thing and doing the right thing, and few dare cross it. Many know what the right thing is to do, but but few actually do it. And sometimes I I know that's because the right thing is, is really hard to do. There's a risk involved. There's a lot that you could lose. But sometimes, sometimes we fail to do the right thing simply because it's inconvenient. Sometimes doing the right thing means that you just have to be available for interruptions. And here's why, here's why I think this is so important. It's because I believe that your front door, your literal front door, can become a side door to the church. That your front door can become a side door to the church. And, and I'm not talking about this church, this physical building. Yeah, that's great. But when I say your front door can be a side door to the church. I'm talking about the church as that community of faith and love and support, that your front door can be the side door into that. The United Methodist Church, about 10 years ago, I spent a long time uh, trying to kind of rebrand the church and come up with, with a new slogan and all of that. And, and so they came up with, uh, with the phrase, uh, this is our slogan, open hearts, open minds. Anyone know the rest? Open doors, okay, good Methodist. It's a great slogan. Uh, I'm proud to be a United Methodist in, in that and that model for ministry, except I think that we've wrongly interpreted that open doors piece. Open hearts, open minds, open doors. But what we actually mean by that or, or the way that we interpret it with how we actually live as Christians in those churches, when we say open doors, we mean, yeah, the doors are open for you to come in to us. And that's not a bad thing. Every, everyone is welcome to come in here, but, but we've forgotten that the doors of the church swing both ways. That the doors of the church swing outward so that those who are gathered in here can go out and take the church with them because the church is not just a building. The church is something that you take with you as you go out into the world wherever you go. And it means that we need to be willing to see and to be seen, to be available for interruptions. And so let me just end with this, some some kind of practical ways to to be a good neighbor, literally to your neighbor next door. Some things that that you might already be doing, but, but to do them in the name of Jesus might really change things. And it might not. And it might not, but 
But maybe what if we took these things? Maybe what if we took what Jesus said as the greatest commandment? What if we took them serious, literally even? And so think of the four closest people to you, physically, wherever you live. Think of the four closest people to you. And what if I were to go and knock on their doors and ask them what they thought about you? What would they say? And let me be honest, if if you were to come into my neighborhood and do that, I got to be honest, I don't know that they would have much to say. And I know that they wouldn't be able to say that I have loved them as myself. But what would your neighborhood look like? If, if for over the next few weeks or, or the next few months, you intentionally loved your neighbors who are literally next door to you, what would your neighborhood begin to look like? How would it begin to act? And then from those four neighbors, you went on to the next four, and then the next four, and the next four, and the next four, so on. What, what, what might that neighborhood look like after that time? It might look a little bit more like the kingdom of God. And so here's how to start. Take a walk around your neighborhood every day, or at least a few times a week, and pray for your neighbors. Uh, talking about, you know, black pants and a white shirt and tie and knocking on their doors and, you know, anointing their house with oil and summoning evil spirits or any of that stuff. Literally, as, as you walk by, maybe just to yourself, Say a prayer for the people who live in that house. I mean, imagine what God could, could use through that time of prayer. And then maybe when you actually have a conversation with them and ask them how they're doing, now you know what to pray for personally. Or you may find, and I bet you may find that you've already been praying for that. What if you did that in your neighborhood? So you walk around or you climb up those stairs of the apartment complex? What if you began for praying for the people behind those doors? And what if you moved from your backyard to your front yard? Literally, what if, what if you didn't do life behind the fence but out in front of it? I mean, what if you sat on your front porch instead of your back porch? What if you moved your grill from the back patio out into the front yard? You're at least available for interruptions then. And, and I think, I could be wrong on this, but, but I think that we're still in the South, y'all. And so I think it's still appropriate to take your neighbor a casserole or a cake for no other reason to bless them and not bless their heart, bless them, but actually bless them. Host a block party or a pool party. Invite them over to watch the Seminoles win a football game. Maybe. We'll see. Or maybe you have a neighbor that you know kind of struggles, and, and maybe they live alone now. Offer to mow their lawn, or take out their trash cans, or bring their trash cans back in. Invite your neighbor to church, but, but did you know you can also invite your neighbor over for dinner? And I know that you probably think your neighbors are weird. They probably think the same thing about you. And I know that everything that I'm saying up here is an introvert's worst nightmare. Trust me, I get it as an introvert, but that's why I'm sharing this, because I need to be held accountable to this as well. 
Because maybe this is exactly what Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor, your next door one. And what if we did that as a church? This church, who are our neighbors, our businesses that are right around here? What would that look like? What would downtown Dunedin look like if if we really began intentionally doing that? Because your front door is a side door into the church. And, And here's what my hope is for this church. My hope for this church isn't that people would know us by, you know, the building that sits in the heart of downtown Dunedin. My hope for this church is that when people think about this church, that they would say to themselves, oh yeah, that's, that's where Tom goes. That's where Susan goes. And that's where so-and-so goes, and they're the real deal. They walk the walk. My, my hope is that when we meet people in the crowds, people who seem to be hiding in plain sight, going unnoticed, that, that maybe, maybe they would catch a glimpse of Jesus. That maybe they, they'd get close enough to just feel the touch of Jesus' presence through us. That we would be the people who love in such a way that people cannot go unnoticed in the crowds. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus. God, you gave us such a simple rule (laughs) to love our neighbors as ourselves. And yet, time and time, we've neglected it. We've forgotten it. We've outright avoided it. Lord, forgive us. And help us, Holy Spirit, give us the courage. Give us the courage to do that simple thing. That one great command that you boiled it all down to, to love you and to love others. Especially, Lord, those that are right around us. Open up our eyes, open up the eyes of our hearts to see them so that they would know that they can't go unnoticed by us. Give us your compassion. Give us your spirit to reach out, to be a witness for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.